Searching for the best way to protect passwords and privileged accounts? Thycotic empowers security and IT operation teams to discover, secure, and manage all types of privileged accounts with the fastest time to value of any privileged access management solution. Get up and running fast with solutions for privileged account discovery, turnkey installation, automation, auditing, and reporting tools with Thycotic's free 30-day trial. Thycotic, the fastest growing PAM provider in the market, available both on-premise and in the cloud. Get started today with a free Thycotic secret server trial at securityweekly.com forward slash Thycotic. Wide-scale adoption of cloud applications, an increase in remote workers, and expansion of branch offices has rendered the centralized, on-premises security model impractical. Enter Cisco Umbrella. Umbrella now includes secure web gateway, firewall, and cloud access security broker functionality, plus integration with Cisco SD-WAN, all delivered from a single cloud security service. It helps businesses of all sizes secure their network and extend protection to roaming users and branch offices. Security doesn't have to be complicated. Get simple, smart, and powerful security with Cisco Umbrella. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cisco Umbrella to learn more. When it comes to web app and API security, the choice is simple. You can choose Fastly's security solution that teams will actually use in full blocking mode, just like 90% of their customers. Or you can stick with costly options that you probably just turn off. You can get Fastly's all-in-one platform that protects apps everywhere they live, however they're built. Or departments can agree to disagree. You can go to securityweekly.com forward slash Fastly to learn more. Or you can just wish you had. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. In our May 27th webcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we'll explore the latest attacks against DNS and the latest techniques that make it possible to discover and disrupt attacks. The content is going to be very awesome and very surprising even to adrian and myself as we're still developing it <laughs> which makes for the best webcast in our june 3rd webcast at 11 a.m eastern time you'll learn about pen testing tools uh specifically core impact uh and others and some of the updates there and how to use them on a regular basis Join us on June 10th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our webcast on Insider Risk to learn how to quickly mitigate data exposure risks. Uh, visit securityweekly.com slash webcast and slash on demand for the archive. We are more than happy. I think that means we're exuberant. More than happy is exuberant. We are exuberant to announce that we'll be at InfoSec World 2021 in person on October 25th through the 27th in Orlando. Our annual partnership with InfoSec World is extra special as we're all on the same team underneath the Cyber Risk Alliance. Uh, what does it mean for Security Weekly listeners and InfoSec World attendees? You get to see and hear from many of the Security Weekly team at the event and you get 20% off your world past. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash ISW 2021 to register. Uh, now we're on to the enterprise security news. Well, you say Sing we just it. dig right in. And there's not, not a, a lot of stories as you, I mean, there are a good number, but not an overwhelming amount as we're uh, accustomed to covering on the show, which lets us dig a little deeper. Um, I had pulled two that I thought were interesting, and actually I'm going to be looking at myself, uh, is that when you, I think there's still this issue of when you run uh, serverless functions such as Lambda, which is really just one type of uh, a kind of, oh, I guess, uh, cloud native functions are in a separate category from 
a Lambda serverless function, Lambda being one of the more popular ones from AWS. Now, Datadog has made an announcement that allows you to collect telemetry from your serverless ap applications. So there are Lambda extensions that allow that collection and developers can add custom business metrics, distributed tracing, and collect logs from serverless applications. We're actually just talking about that. We've got a container that spins up and then spins down and goes away. The IP address is ephemeral collecting logs from that, I think it's not just important for monitoring as a data dog's kind of uh, uh, perception of the problem, but it's also critical for security as well. I gotta know what's going on in these serverless functions. Um, it's super important, especially if they're in Azure, because the breakouts in Azure, there was like two or three in, in the stretch of six months, so. Yeah, do, do you know how that technically works though? That, that's what I'm curious about is, um you know how, you know how it, it says it deploys as a serverless function itself, um, but yeah, I guess I, I guess I'd have to actually implement it to understand fully I, how. I couldn't it tell you works. exactly how it works. I have theories as to how it might integrate. You know, there are logging facilities when you spin up containers, specifically in AWS that I'm familiar with, um, that you could utilize to collect the logs. There are ways to shim a serverless application. Uh, I don't, like security-wise, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like you can throw a binary inside of a serverless app, but that's typically like not recommended. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, it becomes agent-based, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think it's also dependent on what the, what the telemetry you're looking to collect is, right? If you're looking to collect operational runtime telemetry at like... Um, you know, at the lowest possible levels, that could be very different than than serverless kind of application code telemetry mm -hmm. or operational telemetry at those higher levels. Um, and so, I think it's a it's a permissions thing. And, and I'm not sure exactly how it works technically either. But it, based on your description, I'm sure it's some kind of cross serverless permissions model that allows allows the data to be pulled out. I'm sure there there must be solutions that allow you to do it over an API. So when I code my serverless function, if I've got telemetry or data of any kind I want to send somewhere for historical purposes and yeah. logging, I just hit an API and the API sends it off to, to wherever. Yeah, you can always you can always instrument your app directly within the application itself, but obviously that has a certain level of overhead, a certain level of developer requirements. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, you know, you're better off relying on cloud native type solutions. Um, and I don't know if Datadog in particular is using cloud native AWS types of calls or if they're requiring instrumentation into the app into the serverless itself. Uh, that 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 was my bad. I was reading ahead. I was looking at the Imperva yeah. um, AWS Lambda it, it, one, which right. is talking about actively protecting. Yeah, you know, not not that just was interesting too, right? Yeah, telemetry. so more obviously a straight security play from Imperva. They say you can protect against malicious activity um, and a whole host of stuff. I put the whole like list of basically what the functionality was in there. Um, it can monitor, it has OAuth serverless top 10 coverage, which is really interesting. I haven't dug into exactly how that works. Um, so my gut tells me they're doing some kind of proxy model in yep. front of the Could serverless be. lambdas, um, because that's how like signal sciences, I think does it as well, which is now part of fastly. Yep. Um, and it makes a lot of sense because they don't have to be in app. They can come out of app and be in front of it and then eventually be in the CDN layer in yep. the case of uh, Imperva and Fastly both, you know, being a CDN edge security model. So it's probably something that's that's uh, proxy based, you know, as the requests come back and forth. 
And it's likely built on top of the Signal Sciences acquisition or, in the case of Imperva, on top of the Previty acquisition that was done there. Yeah, agreed. Is, is there a significant overhead with that? No. For, for the execution I mean, of the... Yeah, it's cool because it's built on CDN technology for one. And the other thing is it like just is looking at HTTP requests. So it's not touching the HTTP requests and responses. It's just mirroring them and monitoring them. And there's multiple ways to do that. If you're proxying in line, it could add some latency, but like I, when it, if we were talking no 20 more years than ago, your traditional yeah. Path. yeah, no more than your traditional WAF would, would add today. Um, where some of the raspy technologies that were traditionally in app would have a bit more impact because they were doing the detection in line in app. Um, and there were ways around that certain ones would, um, kind of do detections in a somewhat asynchronous way within the app to lower down the overhead impact, but they all had slightly different models and the, the proxy model that this is likely using is no more overhead impact than your WAF might have. Yeah, it's interesting. That ties into another story that I, I had in my brain. Oh, uh, API security, right? Because when we talk about, when I look at our own architecture and, and study like how you would do an AWS Lambda, for example, what you end up with is a lot more APIs because all of the you're spinning a process up, it's doing its thing. After it does its thing, it needs to send stuff back into your application. And I'm not talking about monitoring, but actually application logic and data, right, are part of that flow. That's done over API. You typically in AWS uh, do the API gateway to manage all of your various services, whether you know, that could be a container that you're running somewhere in AWS and then, you know, half a dozen different ways to run a container, whether it's a, a, a straight uh, cloud uh, service that you're running and whether it's a serverless function, right? It all kind of comes through in AWS design, at least the ones I've seen, right, come through that API gateway that manages those uh, communications, which is, I think, a much better way of thinking of applications it does like increase complexity. Microservices? Yeah, but it's basically microservices that are, would be the overarching term, right? To talk about all these services collaborating together to, to make up the application, which makes API security really, really important. Um, in another place where you might want to have uh, both protection and data collection, and that's what Salt Security uh, does. And they just raised a $70 million Series C and uh, for their assault security API protection platform. Sometimes just discovering that you've got APIs is part of the yeah, challenge, yeah. right? Uh, not to be confused with Salt Stack, which was Very acquired different. by VMware last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole API security play, I think, is a big future, um, high, extremely high growth security segment, uh, primarily because the, the lift and shift that has occurred historically of your applications into the cloud, where you just take your app, you wrap it in a container, shove it in the cloud, mm -hmm. that model obviously didn't leverage the scale and capabilities of cloud native apps. And so the natural next evolution for that is to take that app that you've just lifted and shifted into the cloud and break it up into its its segmented components and then rewrite those individual features or components in a, a more microservices based model and have all of those communicate via APIs. And that's really the rise of service mesh, the rise of yep. um, ser uh, microservices and eventually serverless uh, if you want to go that far on your on your development model. And so I think that self security raise is going to exit really, really well someday for the investors that came in at this stage. I agree. And I, I don't want to make that sound easy. That's extremely difficult from a software engineering 
uh, perspective uh, to do that. I know because we're going through it right now. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a huge, it's a huge lift. That's why people just like we did. I took my app, I put it in a container and I stuffed it in the cloud. And then I was like, wait, why do I have to maintain a whole bunch of code that, you know, transcodes videos or handles authentication or, you know, then you start like plucking them, plucking them out. Yep. That's yep. the way that's to go. The, what I, that's what I call the atomization of applications. And that's really every company is going through that right now based on the back of digital transformation that they had shoving things into the cloud saying, hey, we got to become a cloud native cloud first company. They shove it in there, then they have to break it apart. And then, you know, I think the investments that went into microservices and some of the API security and management stuff were early investments. I think this is going to be a massive growth opportunity. And clearly somebody else does, too, by putting 70 million into salt security. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we have on the list? Uh, Zscaler picked up a company called Smokescreen. Smokescreen uh, the, is a platform to help customers protect networks, applications, and endpoints with deception decoys. <laughs> I had not heard of Smokescreen before. Mm -hmm. had, had you, Adrian? I know you were... Yeah, you yeah. So, I mean... This? Full disclosure, uh, you know, I used to work for Thinkst and Smokescreen was was a competitor. So, yeah, having having done some of our uh, competitive intelligence there, I was aware of them. But, um, yeah, yeah, so that's interesting. Um, you know, certainly with uh, Deception, you know, I, I think its usefulness has been proven. And so kind of the next step there is to make it as integrated and just just no brainer to deploy it as as possible, uh, you know, in as many places as you can without triggering false positives and stuff like that. So, you know, honestly, for somebody like Zscaler who's trying to provide most of the stack for you, mm -hmm. it, it absolutely makes sense. You know, it's it's as long as they do it correctly. Like, they, it's one of those things where if done right, you know, it's it's beautiful. You know, if if you mess it up and you start bombarding people with uh, false positives, you know, you're, you're, you're going to burn it for, you know, your, your whole customer base. So they just have to be They're, careful in how they implement it, but it should be a no, no brainer win for them. There's two things about the, the deception and decoy market that I've always thought. It's not actually about the deceptions and decoys that are going to determine whether that market or, or a company in that market is successful. What really matters there is the ease of deployment, as as Adrian mentioned, mm -hmm. and then the so what, right? So if I jam out a bunch of decoys into my into my environment, and first of all, if if I can't single click deploy it into my environment, forget it. The the project's over. But let's assume that they've passed that hurdle. I put a bunch of them out there and hits occur. And I can't get an active so what or a proper you know a proper next steps on how to handle that so what it just becomes a noisy a noisy alert system that doesn't really give me value, and I think that's going to be the key the key to providing the best play here. The other thing that that is interesting to connect it back to what we were just talking about with the rise of the APIs, the rise of applications and application atomization, is I do think that decoys at an app level could be very valuable and very interesting as we move more towards uh, cloud native infrastructures where the enterprise doesn't own the infrastructure. 
we have less of a need for decoys at the infrastructure layer and more of a need for decoys at the application layer. Now, specifically how that manifests itself, I'm not sure, right? Is it a, a page of an app that just pops up or, or some, you know, some new feature or section that once you determine somebody's high risk, it's kind of like a, almost like a in-app captcha that's more focused on decoy. I'm not entirely sure, but I think yeah. there's something interesting that could be done there. Yeah, so with Canary tokens, there are some use cases there. You know, one that we would would pitch is uh, create an image Canary token and put it on a page that you know somebody would scan, like forward slash admin, you know, but doesn't mm -hmm. actually exist on that system. And now it does exist. And every time somebody goes there, uh, you get an alert. And, you know, 100% of those alerts are people trying to scan your website or manually, you know, looking looking for a way in. And you can just treat all those IP addresses that those requests come from as, as scanners. Yeah, I think it, it yeah. gets tricky when you want a one-click deploy, but it's a custom application. That gets tricky. I think yeah, that's probably that's why we haven't seen a big yeah, uh, support for that inside the application. Because I started thinking about in my own apps, like, how would I put decoys in there? And it's like a whole design process. <laughs> and, you know, Adrian, I think your suggestion is great. Like, just do it at the URL level is, is yeah. probably a great way to, to start in that. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I you're almost you're you're, you're almost reverse engineering uh, the scan, you know. So yeah. generally, where you start with decoys is by looking at attacker behavior. You know, you you look at the stuff that they're likely to do, and uh, and then you just build for that. You just plan for that and set traps for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could even go so far as to say, like, look at input fields, um, and you know, uh, basically where input fields might have traditional like rate limiting style attacks where they hit something uh, credential stuffing, for example, into a into an input field. Once you see a certain level, um, you know, creating some kind of decoy that moves them or gives them an act actual response where they wouldn't have seen it right. before. Right? There's a lot of different things that can happen there, but I think that market's not near the automation that would need to occur to make that single click and easy enough to use. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean that almost gets into the anti-bot space, you know, like the it sure does. What, what was it? White White Ops. You know, there, White Ops, Arcos Labs. Arcos Labs is a big player there. Uh, there's a lot of bot protection and fraud protection type mm -hmm. solutions that this that, would start to overlap into. Yeah. Uh, let's see. ServiceNow is delivering new security integrations with Microsoft to automate security workflows. So new integrations um, include Azure Sentinel, Microsoft Threat and Vulnerability Management, Microsoft Teams, and Microsoft SharePoint. Microsoft's got a, a pretty cool stack of solutions, both you know straight security in addition to some of those um, operational and workflow management things. And I can see it integrating kind of nicely with ServiceNow. And, and a lot of those things are, we were just talking about it earlier, they're really low cost or just included with your subscription. And I like almost behind the scenes, Microsoft has just done a great job of coming up with these low code or no code solutions to help you with your workflows and integrating that with something like ServiceNow, I think is really rather than writing custom applications. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff with the whole Microsoft Power Automate Power App Suite. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure I want to use my teams for Incident management, though, it depends on the incident. Yeah, because that, that's the the Teams integration is uh, integrating it with uh, ServiceNow's incident response product. Yeah, it's like rather than use Slack, use Teams. And you've got this technology overload. 
where do messages go? Yeah, it's just, you know, I can see some folks thinking, no, I want to use something a little bit more out of band for my IR communications. Yeah, no, that's a great than, point, too. Than something incredibly integrated, yes. you know, at a, at a time when uh, usually email is the first thing to fall. It's true. Yeah, Slack can, you know, be largely off-prem and outside of any of your other infrastructure in a great, in an IR perspective, a good uh, back-channel communication. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, always interesting to see what they're doing here. They're also integrating SharePoint with the same tool, the same IR tool. I, you know, I think the problem for me with the Microsoft suite is just there is so much functionality and you just get lost like really quickly between their security solutions and their productivity solutions. It, you can do, it, it's almost like the pearl of solutions. You can do <laughs> solve the problem like six different ways. I'm like, what? I, I just want one way sometimes and not all those yeah. options. Yep. Um, I usually don't cover awards, um, but Sentinel One had some pretty interesting uh, picks uh, in terms of their awards or interesting awards that they won. So um, recently, their endpoint security solution came out really well in the MITRE attack evaluation uh, performed by MITRE Ingenuity. Um, they've released the results, and Sentinel One was the only vendor to achieve complete visibility with zero missed detections across both Windows and Linux environments. That was pretty interesting. From a, I mean, not that coverage defines 100% of your evaluation criteria. Coverage is also important when we talk about endpoints and vulnerability management. Uh, so that was an interesting kind of kind of win for them. Yeah, I will mention uh, step one, you know, when doing these uh, evaluations with MITRE is uh, the vendor comes in and sets up the product. So. Wouldn't the vendor come salt? in? I mean, the vendor would come in and set up the product for me, usually, in an enterprise setting. Would they set it up the same way for an enterprise as for like a closed ah, that's, evaluation? Though? That's the million Absolutely dollar not. question right there, Adrian. Yeah, like, I mean, how much if you take that same configuration they used in, mm -hmm. in that case and threw it into an enterprise, would it be a thousand times noisier? I don't know. Right. Yes. Signal no to noise ratio is a thing. Uh, they also won the uh, Gartner Magic Quadrant for endpoint protection platforms. I don't know if that's winning, but congratulations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put that in there to invoke an emotional response. <laughs> Singularity XDR platform. Oh, don't get me started is on XDR. They, is that what they what uh, Sentinel One is calling their solution? Yeah. Gotcha. Innovative Singularity XDR platform. It's just amazing how many companies just turned around and had XDR like a couple months after it became a thing. Well, when we all struggle to define it, everyone can have it because there's no good definition for it. <laughs> so everyone can Absolutely. have XDR. No one knows what it means. It's provocative. Yeah, we got that. We got that. Yeah. The way we define <laughs> it, we have it, right? As we understand it, you know, it's, we, we just rebrand EDR to XDR. It was right. pretty quick find and replace <laughs> in the code. <laughs> Well, uh, I, so in fairness, you know, I think 
Well, and it's funny because in the source space also, you know, in the previous segment, we're talking about how, you know, SOAR is, uh, SIM vendors are becoming interested in SOAR. Um, but SOAR was always kind of there with the SIM vendors in the first place. Like it, it just wasn't as developed as, as we're seeing it now. You know, I remember over 10 years ago, you know, Qualys had SOAR functionality in there. You know, it just wasn't well integrated. You had to do a lot more of the work yourself, but you you could build full-on workflows uh, mm-hmm. with it. Um, you know, and then I think Logarithm, only a couple years after that, like 2012, 2013, was already, you know, just headfirst going into, uh, going down that SOAR route. And I, I think a lot of the EDR folks like Sentinel-1 were already 98% of the way there, you know, before the new branding of XDR became a thing. So in all fairness, I, I think a lot of them were already going in that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, Rapid7, um, with their acquisition of Divi Cloud, positioning themselves to reduce risk with identity access management. Um, it, it's interesting. This is kind of it, what it sounded to me when I read this was constant monitoring, continuous monitoring, if you will, of your IAM policy, especially as it relates to cloud environments, which we know what a big rabbit uh, rat hole that is, right? Is going down, applying the RBAC in your cloud environment and how often it changes, right? We talked about having a microservices architecture. And I think the, the dark thing that we don't talk about is how to manage those roles and responsibilities of your apps and services and users inside of the cloud environment. And I thought it was a good play to say like, we can monitor that and not just a snapshot in time like traditional vulnerability management, but actually monitor as you have changes and put roadblocks in and collect telemetry when someone opens up an S3 share or that microservice now is exposed to the world. Like those are some of the really basic kind of hygiene things that you have to worry about with your cloud. And I think you can do a good job of managing those by um, monitoring the IAM in your cloud provider. I think there's two sides to this one, um, to the market that Divi Cloud really kind of was dancing around. There's the current state or the um, at rest state of your cloud IAM, right? So understanding what the what the RBAC looks like, who has permissions to what at any given moment in time, um, are those position are those permissions overextending, et cetera, et cetera. But then the other side of that is like usage of permissions. Um, like if permissions aren't used, do they need to exist? Right. So there's kind of a more operational side that you can't get just from the metadata of the state of the environment, but you have to look at the actual accesses that are occurring what privilege levels were being achieved so almost integrating like a pam on the right side plus a uh, cyber asset management focused on um identity on the left side yeah and uh, you know i know you're at jupiter one right but asset management certainly you know comes into play knowing what you have in the cloud yeah and then because you got to know that before you can say well what privileges should the users and this service have what rights should it have i should like the example is i knew we had the service running and i went to go test it from home and it's like that service isn't available i'm like i can get just to the office and then i asked marson our cloud architect and he's like yeah no no i you know did the rules i'm like good yeah. i'm glad you did it right right but that's just like a point in time kind of thing it'd be nice to have something that constantly monitors yeah. that because anyone yeah, could just go in and make a small change and now bam that service is exposed to the internet. 
<laughs> yes, I think there, there is an S there is an asset management side of that equation, as you yeah. mentioned, but there's also, I think the operational linkages that have to occur between the two. Mm-hmm. And that's where the value becomes very unique. Um, and I, I know of at least one uh, stealth startup that's covering this area. That's probably going to be out of stealth by end of summer that we'll be able to mention that is exactly doing that. Yeah. I'd also be curious, you know, I think largely what we're talking about is administrative users, developers, uh, cloud architects and engineers, but then it also ties into your application. If you're using cloud services, like we just started to manage your end user authentication and roles and permissions, that to me is equally as important, right? Yep. Because I want to make sure that's not broken, misconfigured, or someone's trying to you know, break in via that mechanism. Yeah, I think the acquisition was smart by, by Rapid7. There's oh, a agree. lot of white space here. Yeah. Uh, Kemp launches a zero trust architecture. I've not heard of Kemp before. Always on application experience company. Playing in zero trust. I don't pretend to understand what they were talking about in their description, to be honest with you. And that's fine, because I don't pretend to understand what zero trust means. So we're on the same page. Zero trust and XDR, let's take them both out to pasture. Proxy authentication. I I understand zero trust. I'm I'm, I'm fine with zero trust, but XDR, I'm I'm still... We actually had two um, great uh, Forrester analysts uh, that I, I did micro interviews with for RSA that I really need to follow up with <laughs> so they can help explain some of that to me. Well, I need an education from you soon, Adrian, on zero trust because zero trust to me is a concept where yeah, everything is just zero trust of each other. And to be able to say that well, zero trust in a product to me has never rung true. So I definitely need a brain dump from you, maybe not on, on this show, but at some point in yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time with the Edgewise team that was acquired by Zscaler, and they really truly did ha- have to this day, right? They call it, I don't remember now, I apologize. Uh, but they, they call it something different, but it is that that product and it does work really well. Um, I've not seen anything comparable to that could be YZ Scalar, you know, acquired them and integrated them with the stack. Well, I mean, you know, zero trust is like um, SBOM, you know, like, like it's, it's an idea, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, for, for an architecture specifically. Um, but there's a lot of components of it, you know, and there's a lot of different ways of, of doing it, you know, like something like an SBOM. Um, but um, e- even though they're, they're nothing alike, you know, uh, the problem you run into is when, companies start using zero trust metaphorically, you know? So I, I, I remember yeah. like a couple months ago, I had two vendors give me briefings in the same day, uh, using zero trust as a metaphor. Uh, their products had nothing to do with the mm-hmm. zero trust architecture at, at, at all, you know? And, and, uh, it just frustrates me when they muddy the waters right. like that, you know, just because it's a hot term and they want to use it. Which is why I've shied away from that term and have become turned off by that term because to me it's a it is exactly what you're talking about it's a it's a design it's a it's a it's a philosophy. thing it's not necess- it's like DevOps yeah it's a yeah. philosophy yeah. it's not necessarily yeah. a a product that you can just sell the the philosophy of right uh, I, I mean so zero trust you know if I were to explain it in a single sentence it would be just applying least privilege to uh, to employee access controls mm-hmm. yep. I, I kind of liken it, if I had to use an uh, an analogy, when we went to Disney and we rode the, the cars, uh, I can't remember the ride, but it's in Magic Kingdom, and anyone can get in the in the car, right? But there's guardrails. Like, I can't, yeah. I physically can't bump into anyone in at least on a left to right, you know, kind of basis. Um, 
I can only go so fast. It's kind of those guardrails for your uh, applications. Right, and which is why, okay, take it back to the product that delivers those guardrails. Perfect, awesome, I get it. But the problem then is we have zero trust, uh, zero trust identity, zero trust this, zero trust that, and now the whole thing's just been shot. Yeah, and I think that analogy came to me looking at all the technology from uh, Zscaler, right? And through their acquisition, it actually does that for you. I mean, he showed us demos at one time of like, you've got a Python script and then like it can't do that stuff because it's limited by those guardrails. To me, that's a good implementation, but you're right, the term gets overused and it muddies the waters. Um, The last story here is AWS is launching a containerized web application solution called AppRunner. It's doing a lot for you. Um, It allows you to rapidly develop, deploy, and run containerized web applications and APIs, handling all operational aspects, provisioning, scaling, and managing container orchestration, load balancing, and CI/CD pipelines. That's and why a lot. not? Yeah, but why that, not? You know, it's AWS doing what only AWS can do. Make it if, easier if you're fully bought into the garden. You mm-hmm. know, very similar to you know, like the Tile competitor that you saw Apple come out with. Mm-hmm. Like Tile could never integrate, make their product easier to use than Apple could because right. Apple's basically shortcutting uh, the process of onboarding one of these little devices that you use to find your lost keys or whatever. But much um, like the Apple example, it can have vulnerabilities and exploits. Oh, sure. Sure. But, um, but yeah, from, from a, um, well, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it's a, AWS has a pretty good track record, you know, when, when it comes to securing their side of things, you know, maybe yeah, not always the best track record in educating their customers on how to secure their end of it. I mean, the documentation has been there, but, you know, don't underestimate the the need for secure defaults there. You know, people, if you give them rope, <laughs> people yeah. will hang themselves. Well, and I, I guess, you know, BHIS did some research um, into different AWS services, and as they're auto-scaling, they spin up new instances, but not necessarily with the same security controls that some of the other instances have. And so when I saw the app runner announcement, I'm like, that could be a recipe for disaster in that sense that as they're auto scaling and managing and load balancing, if the new stuff that's automatically spinning up doesn't have the same security controls, that could spell disaster for the security in your application. Yeah, I guess I wasn't looking at this with my security hat on. I was more looking at it from the Usability. You know, small, yeah. small company, small team, sure. you know, single full stack developer, like, like this is beautiful. Mm. Cool. Anything else you guys want to talk about? See the uh, ServiceNow upticks, 50 million? Oh, yeah, I forgot to talk about that one. I, I, I had two funding items also. Yeah, uh, Uptics, uh who's a sponsor on the program. Um, uh, just awesome technology, right? It's just, it's so cool how they're able to collect all of that using, um, what was the Facebook thing they built it on? OS Query. Oh. OS Query. OS Query. Yeah. I looked at OS Query, I'm like, wow, that could be really cool. And then Uptics came along. I'm like, yeah, that, that's what I wanted out of OS Query. I didn't want to do all the work myself. Now I've got a well-funded startup, right, uh, that's doing that. So, And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, think and it, I think Ganesh is scheduled, uh, has the interview on this segment that'll air. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah so you hear more about Uptics uh, from Ganesh on the next segment as well. Yeah, no, I think Uptics is a super kick-ass company. I've always followed them. And I think the ServiceNow... Uh, in uh, strategic investment alongside uh, the round that they raised is very important for upticks because 
Uptix has insight and visibility into assets, right? Into what needs to be scanned and in the so, cloud. That's their huge differentiator. And, like we're not just an endpoint right. thing. We live in the cloud. And so put yeah, yourself I, I, into the shoes of ServiceNow, where they're a traditional CMDB that's focused on endpoints, right? And yep. it's just hard for them to to move into the cloud. So making strategic investments in companies like Uptix makes a whole lot of sense. And I think that's kind of going to be the key for Uptix and any other EDR companies out there is just fully realizing, um, you know, all the use cases for that data that they're collecting because there's so many things that they can make easier, you know, and they, and they even replace in some cases. Uh, you know, we're even seeing a lot of vulnerability management use cases come out of uh, EDR products. And um, I think that's going to be the big challenge there is, is building all that and and making it, you know, kind of a no-brainer integration with some of these other products like well, ServiceNow, yeah. where, you know, I'd say 9 out of 10 ServiceNow CMDBs you look at are out of date. You know, you need yep. some mm-hmm. automated method of keeping them accurate and up to date. And here, yep. you know, here you go. At least for the ones where you have uptics installed, you know, the, yeah, you know, yeah, the corporate owned stuff. I think, I think it's uh, something I've described for a few years now is the power of the agent. Everybody bags on agents. They hate agents. They only want one agent. And so what agent is consistently deployed? The endpoint agent, right? And so you get, you can do so many things, whether it's using OS query as that agent or using a CrowdStrike agent or Carbon Black agent or whatever. You can do so many things once you're on device. You're able to leverage that into secondary and, and tertiary markets alongside just yeah. standpoint protection. And that's why it's super valuable is you have that inventory. Yep. Outstanding. Adrian Tyler, yep. thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. Although this is not the end of the show, we've got a pre-recorded interview coming up. Drew Rose from Living Security and Ganesh Pai from Uptix. Stay tuned.